Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, I think we can all agree on the thing I'm about to say next. Whether you're brand new to church, whether you are from from the from Texas or you're from some other sad part of the United States, um, no matter where you find yourself from, no matter what your background growing up, I think we're all going to find ourselves in agreement on the next thing I'm about to say, and that's puppies are adorable. We can agree on that. Puppies are adorable. Now, you may have a different opinion on grown dogs. You may have a different opinion there. But puppies are adorable. And the problem with the adorability of puppies um, is they strike an emotion. And I got sucked into the adorability years ago. Um, And so I was was a youth pastor, and we had bus routes, and we would go pick up our teens go pick them up for youth on Wednesday nights. And I was driving a bus route and going to pick up part of uh, our youth for Wednesday. And as I get there, they're like, Pastor Brandon, um, our dog just had puppies um, and brings out this adorable few weeks old border collie puppy black and white and fluffy and puppy breath and the whole bet and um, didn't have the, the, the cell phone on me and just made the decision, it's an adorable puppy. How can this go wrong? And so I was like, yes, I will take a free bundle of adorableness. Of course I will. Who wouldn't take free bundle of adorableness? And so we get this dog, we name this dog Jake. Jake was our family dog. The problem with that is I did not know anything about Border Collie. Didn't know anything about them. They're just a pretty dog. Well, they're not just a pretty, I'd always grown up with like lap dogs, you know, and dogs that just sit with you and dogs that, you know, they're they're annoying because they do, you know, little dog things in the house. Um, But Border Collies are working dogs. They are hardwired with this instinct to herd. Well, we had small children. <laughs> and as we would have Jake in the backyard and we would have the children in the backyard, Jake thought the children belonged to him, not that he belonged to the children. And so uh, what Border Collies will do is they will heard anything they feel responsible for. And so Jake felt responsible and the kids would be in the backyard and he would begin to herd them. And we had this random little fence in coming off the back of our house in the middle. I have no idea why it was. It just went from the corner, mid part corner of the house and just to our little sidewalk that went in our backyard. And so it created a natural corner. And the, the four kids that were of walking age at that time, he would get them bundled up into that corner. <laughs> and they're just screaming, help, dad. And they're like, and they're just stuck up in that space. And that dog has just got them. And, you know, the problem is, is he'll, he'll cut you off. He'll be cool about it. He'll just cut you off and like remind you over there. And then the next thing border collies do is you don't obey. They growl. 
And then usually the animal, whatnot. So, you know, my kids are like, this dog is possessed. This dog is evil. We hate this dog and get this dog, get them into the corner. And if, it, if things escalate, then they don't do what the border collie wants that animal, the whatever's to do, then it'll begin to nip. And if nipping doesn't work, it'll just, it'll bite. It'll like, you're not messing with me. You're going to do what I say. And our kids responded really well to growls. So we never got the nips. He would cut off, growl. Man, they would get popped into the corner. And we quickly realized this was just not a good idea. They're not good, small children dogs. I got sucked in by high emotion and low knowledge, okay? Um, there's some of you who are sitting here and have said, that reminds me of my dating life. I got sucked in <laughs> with high emotion and low knowledge and I've uh, made a bunch of bad dating decisions on that. I had some of you... <laughs> Some of you have had some investment decisions that were high emotion, low knowledge, and your investment decisions got off the route. But that the, can be the, the problem is that all of a sudden we can find ourselves in a spot where we realize we went down a path when we wish we could just turn around and flip that script around. We wish we, we could just turn that and make it go in a different direction. This did not go in the direction we thought that this would go. We thought we had things, emotion comes in, lack of knowledge, and then we end up in the wrong place. We're in a series called Flip the Script that we kicked off last week. And with that, we launched with this concept that um, that if we'll just simply trust Jesus, then, then he will flip the script on the things in our lives. And so I'm here to tell you that maybe you found yourself in a place this morning that you are in a spot relationally, vocationally, all sorts of different things that maybe some high emotion and not quite enough knowledge ended you up down a path and you feel stuck. I'm here today to tell you that, man, you bring that situation to God and he will lead and guide you to flip the script because Jesus said that was why he came. He came to come in and to take things in a different life-giving direction. When Jesus began his ministry, he steps into the temple he begins and he goes over and it was normal to have different people read part of the scroll. Jesus goes up and he grabs the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it to the part that we call Isaiah 61 and he begins to read. And let's go ahead and read one more time. Isaiah 61 verse one says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, it's on Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness to the prisoners. Everything is shifting with why he is anointed and why he's come. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to the comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty, instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Praise instead of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. 
And here we see that there's this place where there is this, this, this garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And today we're gonna look at finding ourselves in a place where we're frustrated, where maybe we're even in despair, and that we need to put on a garment of praise. You know, it didn't say have a skin of praise, something that naturally grows on there. A garment is something you put on. You chose um, to put on what you're wearing. And so you made that decision this morning. You had other options and you chose what you chose. And so this thing of putting on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, there is something going on. There's some narrative, there's some storyline that is about despair, that produces despair. And it says it's time to put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And the truth is, is that most of the time we celebrate after the victory. That's when the celebration happens. It's when the victory has already been won. Whenever, the, whenever Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl, over the next, the remaining week, there was a lot of celebrating there in Tampa Bay. Some of it all right, some of it questionable, but there was a lot of celebrating, and they did it, they did it after the victory. That's the normal time when we celebrate. It was, how is this gonna work out? It works out the way we want to, and we celebrate. But folks, you and I, we celebrate we celebrate because we are promised the victory. We're promised. We get to celebrate on the front side because we're promised it. That's why you can put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It didn't mean that the despairing situation went away. It didn't mean that it went away. It meant I'm going to praise instead of wallowing in despair, instead of walking this, this direction of despair. And Jesus came to flip the script on our despairing situations. And what we do is we begin to put on that garment of praise. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice always. Well, we know that it's not always a rejoicing kind of moment that we have our ups and we have our downs, but the scriptures tell us to stay focused on rejoicing always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now let's please be clear, this, this scripture is not saying, clearly not saying, that all circumstances are God's will. It's, no, it's not saying that remotely. What it's saying is that giving thanks in the middle of everything is God's will. Staying thankful to him, understanding he is with us, that just because the storms of life, remember Jesus was in a stormy boat, Jesus dealt with some different issues and he stayed focused on those things. And what we wanna do is we're gonna talk about um, a man that if you've been around church for a long time, you've heard of this guy. If you're newer to church, you may not have heard of this guy. And it's a guy named King Jehoshaphat. And so King Jehoshaphat had a really good dad. His dad was King Asa. And he was a fan, his dad was a fantastic king and it helped lay some foundations for King Jehoshaphat. Now King Jehoshaphat reigns about 100 years after King David, okay? If you're new to church, you're at least familiar with David and Goliath. And so he became king and he was a great king over united Israel, okay? And then after David was a guy named Solomon, and that was his son, and that was over united Israel. And then very, very quickly, um, there was a guy named Rehoboam, and his son, that was Solomon, was, uh, he was 
Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, and the kingdom was never together again after Rehoboam. Rehoboam was young, arrogant, made some really foolish mistakes. The kingdom is divided. And then afterwards, there was Israel and Judah, okay? So at this point in history, we have King, um, oh my goodness, um, King Jehoshaphat, so many kings in my head right now. Um, so King Jehoshaphat is reigning over Judah, okay? There's another guy who is king over the other part in Israel, okay? And he's a guy named Ahab. And if you are uh, new to church, you may not recognize Ahab, but you will probably recognize his wife's name. And her name was Jezebel. And so, and you'll have not a great connotation. Even if you're new to, not very familiar with church, that name does not have a good connotation. We're not gonna get into Ahab and Jezebel, but they were not good people. And so uh, here, Ahab, Jezebel, they're in Israel, and we've got Jehoshaphat in Judah, and Jehoshaphat is prospering. He gets to step forward with what the good things his dad does, and we first find him in 2 Chronicles 17, okay? We're not gonna read that quite yet, but I'm just gonna give you some backstory, okay? And in 2 Chronicles 17, we find out that he's doing really well, that he has a heart after his father David, that he fortifies the cities that are there against to make sure Israel doesn't come in and, and, and try to, to take over what's happening there in Judah. Um, he has a heart after his, 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 uh, the lineage of his father David. Things are going really good. In fact, he, gets, he, he increases in riches and honor. And there were the fear of the Lord came upon all of the countries that surrounded Judah to the point that they chose not to fight against Judah. And in this time, he, he is building up the fortified cities. He creates new forts. He's military minded, okay? You have to understand that. He's military minded. He's prospering. The Philistines, remember Goliath was a Philistine that David has to take out. The Philistines actually come and of their own volition, give him tribute. They're giving him gifts. They're like, hey, we're being nice to you. Don't come after us. There were people in regions and nations that were afraid of Jehoshaphat, not because he had gone out and he had whooped a bunch of people, but because they were sitting in a place of strength, okay? You get down into the bottom of chapter 17 and it lists out how many of mobile soldiers he had. It's 1,160,000 mobile soldiers aside from the soldiers that are there at their fortified cities that are assigned to the fortified cities. So he's got a mobile army of over a million men in Judah, okay? Back in those days, that's a big army. So he's got respect from other nations. He's got a mobile army. He's got all these different things, okay? And things are going good for him. Well, then Ahab reaches out to him in chapter 18 and says, hey, I'm having some problems with these people over here. I need you to kind of be aligned with me um, and let's go to war. And he makes a foolish decision and decides, hey, let's do this. They end up inquiring of God after the decision is made and they find out this is not gonna end well. He goes with having given his word and goes into battle with Ahab. Ahab is such a punk, he actually dresses like a common soldier, says, hey, um, somebody's gotta be king out here. Um, 
Why don't you dress in all your royal stuff so that everybody thinks you're the guy in charge and they'll attack you? Ahab totally punks him. And so he's out there looking like a king out on the battlefield. Everybody charges after him. And Jehoshaphat cries out to God. He realizes what's happening and he gets divinely protected. They realize you're not Ahab and they flee. And then this random arrow kills Ahab, goes through his under. He's dressed like a common soldier and he ends up dying. And Jehoshaphat gets out of that. That would be a little bit of a wake-up call, don't you think? It was. That was chapter 18. Chapter 19, he begins to create some reform in Judah. As the king, the scriptures say, he, he himself went out to all of the villages in the land to call them back to the Lord. He didn't just stay there in Jerusalem and say, hey, y'all go tell everybody they need to, to worship the one true God and we need to come back to God. He himself would make the rounds. And it'd be, it'd be like sitting there if we'd had a king. And all of a sudden he comes in and he gets on his plane and he flies to San Angelo and he begins to say, hey, we're all gonna meet up at some big place and I wanna tell you, as your king, um, we need to worship the one true God. He did it himself and he began to rally the nation. He began to make some changes and he set things up to, to have the nation hold God first, okay? That is it. But he's a guy with a big army. He's a guy with, with, with respect. He's a guy with all these different things. And now on, we need to catch up with what we want to focus on today. And it says, and after this, after the reforms, after he sets things in order, after he begins to have people's, the people's hearts turn toward God, it says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meonites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. He had not been attacked before. When all those other times, he hadn't been attacked. And all of a sudden now, every, people are wanting to come after him. He's turned his heart towards God in a deeper way. He's turned his nation's heart towards God in a deeper way. Deeper way. And now is when the battle is gonna start. So often, Yes, yes, so often yes, why? Because the enemy is threatened when we lean into God. That's when we really begin to step into our destiny. That's really when we begin to, to move forward. So don't be surprised that you said, man, I'm leaning towards God, I'm getting leaning in towards him, and then all this mess, all the enemy started attacking. It was after that 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 went down with Jehoshaphat. And it says, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazanon Tamar, that is the Engedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And we see here, we're about to see that we see that Jehoshaphat flips the script on what we normally see as prayer, the way we would normally respond, okay? Normally what we would think is he's like, I've got 1.1 million uh, mobile soldiers. God, I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna say, Lord, bless their swords, bless their spears, 
bless them because we're about to go out and we're going to give a whooping like nobody's ever seen. You don't dare come against us. You would think that's the way he's going to pray. He's going, Lord, we've got some good battle plans. We've got some good things. We need a blessing thrown down on these battle plans. You would think that he would say, you know, okay, our fortified things. Let's, Lord, what extra do we need to do on these different fronts? But we're about to get into the place where we see how he prays. Second Chronicles verse four, the very next verse says, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. See, all of what happened in verse 19, everybody's hearts coming back to God, had them in a place where they were in agreement here in chapter 20. So they're not all of a sudden having to figure out, are we gonna trust God or not? They'd made the decision that they were gonna trust God in chapter 19. This is why in our homes, we are husband and wife, you need to come into agreement. You need to talk about it with your kids. You need to sit there and understand because the battles are going to come. It says the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. I love it that he had gone out to every town in Judah to remind them to, to seek God. And now when the whole place is needing some help, they all come back together. Man, I love it that he sowed it out there and he's reaping it back where he's needing it most. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations and power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. He immediately goes in, not talking about how big their problem is, but his immediate place in prayer was talking about how big God is. That was immediately, God, you're the God of heaven. You're the one who's made all this. Nothing can withstand you. I'm telling you so many times we need to go into a place of prayer and remembering ourselves of who we're talking to. We pray two small prayers because we look at our problems and that's our first thing on our mind when we go to God and we have to remember who we're talking to. He's way bigger than the situation. He is way bigger. And he's reminding himself and he's reminding everybody in earshot. All those people, he's like, this is who you are. And he continues to pray and he prays, he goes on to pray and, and talk about the promises made to Abraham and that God had given them this land and how God had protected in the past. And there in 2 Chronicles 12, we jump forward in his prayer. He says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat, we already know, he had fortified cities. He built forts. He had an army of 1.1 million men. But he did not trust in those things. He didn't trust in them. He's like, God, you're the one. And we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I tell you what, most people don't want their leaders in the middle of an attack to go, I don't know what to do. Everybody's rallied to him. They've come in. They're not expecting him to stand up there and go, guys, I don't know what to do. Come before God. Lord, I don't know what to do. 
But that was the truth, and it was a place of humility. It was a place of understanding that his wisdom was insufficient. Whatever he could come up with was going to be insufficient. And he says, our eyes are on you. This entire prayer isn't him sitting there trying to make God hear him. It was him wanting to hear God. And so often we forget that God has a plan. God has a desire. And we so often, we walk in with our prayers and we have our plan and we have it and we say, God, here's what I want to do. I need you to bless it. Here's the way I think it needs to go. I need you to take it that route. And his prayer was, I don't know what to do. But God, I know you do. And our eyes are on you. And it says, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord stood there. God, we, we don't, we're just going to, we need you to speak. And there's a place where they were expectant that God would answer the prayer of giving direction, of speaking. And in our times of prayer, we ought to go to him, say, not, not to say, God, I've got a plan, bless it. But saying, God, I want to know your plan, and I'm willing to sit here and wait for you to reveal it. I'm not going to make a move until I know what you want done. And that was the whole nation was ready and willing to sit there and listen to God. And guess what? God does what God does. God speaks. He speaks. Here he speaks through a prophet. For us, he's speaking, he spoke through his word, and he will still speak through people who are called prophets. He will still speak out of the mouths of the scriptures, say, of two or three witnesses. He speaks all the time through his word. He speaks through his Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us because he wanted to be able to write his word on our fleshy hearts and lead and guide us himself. God speaks he spoke then, he still speaks today, and we need to sit there and lean in and get ready to move with what God says. And in 2 Chronicles 20, 14, it says, and then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and a descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly and he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. When God speaks, one of the first things that's said throughout Scripture over and over again is don't be afraid. We need to let that be addressed in us. That fear, all of that anxiety and all of that stuff because it'll cloud the way we're taking this stuff in. So that has to be put aside first. Do not be afraid because of this. For the battle is not yours, but God's. So like, okay, well, good. Well, we can just like throw a party and we can, we can just like, you know, we can, we can break our fast. Let's have, some, let's have some, some brunch. And this is good. Battle's not ours. It's God's. Cool. We don't got to do squat. Um, keeps talking. Um, they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerel, they just got what every military commander wants, exact, perfect intel, exact intel. Not only that, but they're going to be coming up 
you're going to have the high ground. You're going to be in a, in a place where you're going to be able to have a military advantage. You're going to be at that place. We're going, to, we're going to be able to sit there. They think they're going to have to march all the way to Jerusalem. They think they're getting a sneak attack on us, but you're actually going to be able to go out there and meet them in this spot. But guess what? There are 1.1 million men. We're just like, oh, we can get them. We can get them. We now know where we're going to be able to ambush them. No, that's, that's where they're going to be. You're not going to trust in those things. You will not have to fight this battle. That intel, that advantage wasn't there so that they could fight better. It's so that they understood this is where this is all going to go down and where we're going to meet. It says, take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So they're going to face the enemy. Just the battle belongs to the Lord. Folks, whatever you are facing today, the battle belongs to the Lord. No matter what you're facing, you're still facing it. They still faced it. Didn't they just say, okay, God's going to take care of it. He's going to deal with this. Awesome. We're just going to go about life. They still faced it, but they understood, had to squash all of the anxiety, all of the fear, all of the dismay, grab hold and say, all right, here's what we're going to be able to do. And we want to see that their response to God's promise, a proper response to God's promise, it's worship. And in verse 18, it says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. So there are all these people just holy, reverent worship. And that is a wonderful, awesome act of worship. It is, but it's not the only one. It's not the only one, it says. And then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. You can bow down to your face before God, or you can stand to your feet and shout and holler, and however it is, you feel like it needs to come out. There are some of them reverent down on their face, some of them on their feet shouting to God for glory. It's however it is you are expressed, but it ought to be an expression of worship. So many times we think this is how it should go, or this is how it should go. How does it be manifest in your spirit? Maybe it'll be quiet and reserved and you're laying out before God. Maybe it'll be you raising a ruckus. Maybe you standing up and shouting in a loud voice. Either expression is beautiful and wonderful. And maybe the person next to you is doing something very different. Please don't ever compare your praise to somebody else's. Please don't. There is liberty when you get rid of that place of comparison. The king did one thing. He's laying on his face. The Levites are shouting and being crazy on their feet. Don't compare your praise to somebody else's. Now, early in the morning, I love it that they did not tarry around. They didn't hold back. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord and your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And then they had to make some decisions and their decisions were based on God's promise. They made decisions based on his promise. In verse 21, it says, after consulting the people. Now remember, these are people 
who had in chapter 19 responded to a call back to God. These are people who when there was a fast called showed up to the fast. These are people who stood there with one another, with their wives and their children and their little children and had a heart towards God. These are people who when God spoke, worshiped and responded. There are times when we should be getting counsel from people, but they ought to be people whose heart are towards God, who are wanting to hear God's voice, who respond in a place of worship. They ought to do that. We do that. There can be a, there can be a safety and a beauty in the multitude of counsel that we need to be able to do it. And he consults the people. A lot of times you consult the wrong people, you're gonna get the wrong idea. But you consult the right people and God will lead. It says, and after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, so here is how they go out. They've already got a promise that they're gonna win the battle that they're not the ones that are gonna have to fight it. They took that so seriously, it was their idea to get the singers and the praisers out front. They doubled down on God's promise. And they're like, this is gonna go our way. God, God has got this thing. And so it was their idea to get the praisers out front and they go out there. And this is what the enemy experiences all of this massive army coming out them with a bunch of people just celebrating and singing this. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Not that our God slaughters our enemies. Not that our God is mighty in battle. Not that our God is stronger than your petty non-existence God is our God's love endures forever. They're able to go and face things on and step in it with that one assurance. God's love doesn't fail. Every battle you deal with, you can face it head on with this on your lips. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. And they go out there and they are singing this and decreeing this, his love endures forever. And as they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy them. So now all of a sudden they're turning against one another. Now in their minds, they may be going, maybe. I don't know how it all went down. But they're like, the only reason these crazy people are out here singing and praising is because they paid off our partner over here. The only reason anybody's out here and gonna put out there, there's no, no armor, no weapons. They're not have their swords going, we will, we will. No, they're singing. They're singing just to God. They're not armed. They're out there and it just blows their mind and whatever it was that went down, they turn on one another. They're like, these people are crazy. I'm fighting that guy. And so, and they turn and they turn on one another and then after turning on the people of Mount Seir, then the Moabites and the Ammonites turn on one another and by the time they actually fully show up on the scene, it's over. The battle's completely over. The enemy turned against itself. 
And folks, we need to understand that man, as God is calling us to move forward, and he's calling you, yes, you're going to face some stuff. Yes, some stuff that you want to see the, flip, the script flipped on. But to be able to do that, we've got to flip our own script. We have our own normal dialogue. This bad thing happens. I go into gripe mode. I go into whine mode. I go into woe is me on Facebook. Oh, I go into I can't believe it's happening again. All of a sudden, we begin to go into all that stuff. We get into our natural spiral. We get our natural thing, and we get the same outcome we always got, which is a big punch in the mouth, a suck on our wallet, and one more wound to get over as we move forward. That's what happens in that cycle. Maybe we can flip the script, and yeah, we're facing something. We're facing something that's big and hard and difficult to deal with, but we begin to go, you know what? I'm gonna go to God, not to say, God, take it away, not to say, God, what do I, but say, God, what do you say? And then when he speaks, we run with what he says. Because guess what? He says he's for you and he's not going to leave you. He says that he's already taking care of our sickness and diseases. He's already taking care of the issue of lack. He's already taking care of sin and, and death. He's already handled those things. That's what he has spoken. And we run with that. We move forward with that. That is what we do. When God speaks, we move forward and we make our decisions based on his promises. Not based on the battle in front of us, not based on potential outcomes, based on his promise. That is how we make our decisions. And we can do that, folks. Our bottom line is that we can worship on the front side because God's got us on all sides. He's got us. He's got us, and so we can worship. And maybe everybody else says, why? Why are you doing that? You're still facing X, Y, Z. And you're like, because my God's love endures forever. And whatever I'm dealing with, it has not outpaced his love. Whatever it is I'm facing, it's not outpaced his love. And today I'm here to tell you whatever is happening with you, it's not outpaced his love. Whatever is in your past has not outpaced his love. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.